0: hello everyone and welcome to the talk music podcast where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally go a little bit off topic my name is scott cowie i'm a drummer turned comedy singer songwriter and apparently now a podcaster you're going to hear me chat to many different people but more often than not it will be fellow musicians focusing on their careers and lives within, arguably the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every Thursday here at ScottKiwi.com. And now we're on iTunes. Please subscribe, rate, review, maybe give us five stars. And for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week in the podcast, Mr. Martin Taylor MBE an absolutely phenomenal guitar player so much respect within the industry Everybody who's anybody for years and years and years has always told me that Martin Taylor is an influence in them as far as jazz guitar playing goes. A lot of urban myths about Martin Taylor, one of them being that he played his first ever gig when he was eight years old, and he wasn't on the stage singing Merrily we roll along at some school show. He was playing in a jazz band. Now, if I don't know if this is true or not, but I tell you what, judging by his guitar playing further down the line when he got a lot older, if anybody could do that, it would be Mr. Martin Taylor mbe and i've got the perfect opportunity to ask him today if indeed that is true the first mbe that we have ever had on the podcast mr martin taylor it's gonna be a good one before we get to the interview i have been joined by the guys from the band all she knows who the last time i seen them were gearing up for their fantastic show at the royal concert hall in glasgow now seb how did that one go um, yeah, it was, it was great. It was a bit overwhelming, but we had we had a blast. Yeah, excellent, Adam. Now I've seen a great reaction in Twitter and Facebook. I mean, how did you feel that when? How was the experience drumming in that environment? Oh, just uh, unbelievable. The sound on stage
1: was incredible. Um, everyone was really receptive towards it. Like it was really cool being in that big stage environment. Like definitely.
0: Now, for those of you that are not familiar with All She Knows, they featured a couple of times on the podcast. I played a couple of their tracks, but to give you a little bit of a background, Ross, do you want to tell us a bit about the band how it started?
1: Well, um, it's a kind of odd story how um, we got started. It's, uh, we're a band that started over a pair of boot-cut jeans. Um, okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty strange. Um, Seb was working in a shop in Glasgow, and um, Adam came in, not knowing right. each other, um, just uh, to buy some jeans, and they just started talking about music and stuff like that. And then um, Seb was like, here, I'm having a party tonight, do you I come over and we'll chat some more, right? We did it at first. It yeah, was like, it was a bit like a, a yeah. bit like a mandate, but you know, it was good. Yeah. It was good. Um, so yeah, <laughs> uh, so at this party, this is when we all sort of like met each other, and um, there was this girl floating about, right? And no one actually knows who, who her she name was is or is, like. what was going on with her. She was a total random at the party, but um, she kept on asking us all about this star tattoo she was gonna get. She was like, oh. Um, what do you think I should get Like, maybe this star or maybe this star and that was like a running joke throughout the night there's this all that this girl knows about is this all she knows about so when we actually decided to form the band together um, we decided to pay a little, a little tribute a little homage to, to, oh, yeah. to the lassie who, who got us all chatting and whoever she is we'd like to hear from you
0: okay. um, if you're listening
1: in <laughs> hi how you doing if that's you and if
0: if she's listening, please get in touch. But only if she's um, semi good looking. As yeah, it, I mean, yeah. What's your, is, is, uh, um, what's your memory over? Is it?
1: Um, thank you. She had red hair, didn't she? She yeah. did have red hair. Yeah. yeah. yeah so see if you're ginger and that appeals to you right then just get in contact
0: and even if it's not you and you're fairly hot uh, just get in touch <laughs> anyway in and, touch and, and we'll see how it goes um i'm sitting with the four guys just now and all she knows but the fifth member is in the kind of vocal booth at the moment his name is Tang tang and as we all know in this show we play a game called i'll name a song and then you play it where of course i name a song and then the artist makes an attempt to play that song Ting-Tang has got his keytar, you heard me right, keytar, and the last time i seen someone play this instrument, I think, well his name was Zach Morris, was in Saved by the Bell in 1989, (laughs) but um, Ting's gearing up for this one, George, how do you think Ting will fare? You've listened to a lot of the podcasts, a lot of some of the best musicians in the world have performed this game and played at a very high level, how do you think Ting will do today, what are your thoughts?
1: I have have a lot of respect for my fellow band member Ting-Tang, but... (laughs) I do know his ability to work out music, so I'm going to be quietly confident here with his ability. Quietly. That
0: sounds like a classic PR line yeah, right there from, from George, but we respect that nonetheless. Tang, you're in the studio. How you feeling about this whole affair, sir?
1: I feel great. I feel a bit lonely in the studio, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he feels a little bit lonely through there. Um, <laughs> This guy's a flaming loser, I don't know how he's oh, going yeah. to do that. <laughs> Ron, is that top back off at the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. i tell you oh, I was thanks. only kidding there. Right, here of we course. go. Ladies and gentlemen, let's play the game that I call, and we all know as, I'll name a song and then you play it. I'll name a song and then you play it. I'll name a song and then you play it. I know that song you just played. Cos ten seconds ago, I just said it. Okay, Tang Tang is raring to go Tang. You play the roll concert hall. You've done a few tours with this band, but this must be a career highlight, I'm sure.
1: Yes, probably <laughs> the highest of the highlights.
0: The highest of the highlights. There we go. Oh, wow. Right? First song that we're gonna ask you to play. Jump by Van Halen. Here we go. Jump. Alright. <sighs> Yes. I
1: think he's cheating. <laughs> I think he's cheating. I tell you what,
0: a good. Uh, I tell you what, it's a good job for demo buttons on guitars. <laughs> of course, there. I know. Just one
1: click of the button,
0: just watch you guys. Good job. He's got YouTube and that guitar there. <laughs> right. Next song. Here we go. Old Lang Syne. They, um...
1: There you go. He's
0: cheating. Uh, If that that song was recorded in the 80s, it would have sounded like that. Is there any chance we could sample that and get a bit of drum machine behind it? You know, the classic awful Tom sound. Right, let's go. Uh, As we're on that sound, this will be a good one. Final Countdown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh. That was good. The last couple of notes were kind of get a blue note jazz, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. Song number four, the East Enders theme. Hmm.
1: I'll just stick to the sound. I eh? <laughs> go with
0: that though. No, we need that sound. You can't. There's no going back now. Yeah, <laughs> wait for the with Was be amazing? <laughs> oh my god i've got i've got images of Doc cotton dancing in an 80s club along with that brilliant right last one smoke in the water deep purple okay do
1: you mind Singing a few notes of that, and then I'll. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> oh, that's not the game. That's thing. Not the game. That's, <laughs> that, I don't. I don't that name.
0: I I don't name a song, then follow up with me singing <laughs> that song. The
1: song. Um,
0: it, okay. Oh my God. Give
1: it your best guess,
0: thing. Oh my God. This is a guy that that doesn't know the riff for "Smoking the Water." Just my quiet, God, guys. he's in a rock band.
1: Gifting a round
0: of applause. Thank you, guys. thank you. I tell you what, that was both the best and the worst. Uh, I'll name a song and then you play it. (laughs) By far, far in both (laughs) extremes. Excellent stuff here with the boys from All She Knows. Don't forget, on the 6th of April, they're doing a massive gig at the Classic Grand. Go on to allshenows.co.uk for more details. And now we're going to get to an interview with Martin Taylor. Okay, we're back on the Talk Music Podcast with Mr. Martin Taylor. How
2: are you, Martin? I'm fine, thanks. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing all right, yeah. Now, I was delighted to find out that you're a massive fan of Django Reinhardt. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, that really came about because, uh, well, it goes right back to my earliest memories, really, because my father was a big fan of Django's, and that was the music that was always being played in the house. So that was the music I grew grew up with. So he was actually, Django Reinhardt was actually the first guitar player I ever heard as a kid. So, um, and I, my dad used to play, my dad was a jazz musician as well. He was a bass player. And uh, he used to play a lot of music and his friends used to come around the house. Uh, but they used to put a lot of those, those records on of the Hot Club, Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli. And um, it was just something about Django, the way Django played, the sound of his guitar and what he did that really, even at a very, very young age, it really touched me. And even as a, as a child, I thought it almost felt like the guitar was talking to me, which, of course, is Django was a very lyrical player and a very lyrical uh, improviser. So uh, he had that. He was a kind of like one of the great improvisers. He was like a storyteller, really. So his music, that was, that was really why I wanted to play the guitar. And then I used to, I used to sit with my dad's guitar, and as a very little kid, about four years old, and just try and pick out little little bits that Django was playing.
0: Excellent. Good stuff. Now, you mentioned Stefan Grappelli there. That must have been such a thrill further down the line when you got to meet him and, of course, end up jamming with him. How did that come about, Martin?
2: Well, I first met Stefan in 1975, and he was... Uh, I knew the guys that were working with Stefan, and I met him, actually, of all places. I met him in Creef in Scotland, and... Um, they were playing a concert and I, I, was, I was in Scotland at the time and I went along to see a, a really great friend of mine, Ike Isaacs, who played guitar with him. And that was the first time I, I met Stefan and he said, oh, I'm really pleased to meet you because Ike keeps telling me about you. And and then a few years later, 1979, uh, I got a call from Stefan and he asked me to uh, to join him on a tour. So I toured with him in France and Belgium in nineteen in May 1979. And when that was finished, we were touring for about two weeks. He said, I've got a tour in America in two months. So I, Do you want to come to America on tour? And I said, yeah, okay. So that's kind of how it happened. And I, I toured with Stefan all around the world for 11 years. And uh, I made over 20 albums with him, did loads of TV shows. BBC Scotland uh, actually did a TV documentary about us uh, as well in the kind of late 80s early 90s so yeah it was a it was a long a, a long friendship a, a long and it was very interesting because that's Django and Stefan were the reason why I started to play and it seemed like another world another era when I was listening to those records little, little did I know that I would actually become part of of Stefan's musical life and, and his personal life because we were great friends he was a great friend of the, of my families and and uh, I used to sit up on stage when, every night when we worked together and I said, like, hey, no, I really must remember this because this is a very, very, very special experience. For, to, there I was when I first worked with Stefan, I was, what, 23 years old? And he was uh, about 71, I think. And so I was working with somebody from another, almost like another time really, you know, Stefan would now be, uh, he would be about 105 now if he was still still alive. So um, it was, I feel like I'm a kind of a bridge between the the old times and the new times in in some ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, although it must have been an absolutely amazing experience there to say it, Martin, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it must have been intimidating occasionally looking across that stage when you're playing minor swing alongside Stefan.
2: But no, not really. No, it wasn't because the the thing was that um, I, when I f- the first time I worked with him in in France, the fir- I remember the first gig. It was in Deauville in the north of France and Normandy, and I remember uh, just thinking to myself, "Oh well, I hope he likes the way I you know way I play. You know, I just play the way I play. I don't play like Django." Um, but then I knew that the, the the hot club of France was only a six year period in his life, and he worked with many, many other guitar players after that and um, and even when we played together, we really didn 't play very much of the hot club music. we played maybe maybe two or three tunes from the hot club uh, days, but mostly we just played jazz standards and I got him to play some some other things as well that i I recommended that would be good things for him to play so uh, he, he never, never once told me how to play you know don't do it like that or do it like this he sometimes gave me some little bits of advice you know he'd say oh when you know when you come to the end of that solo why don't you try putting a a chordal thing in there and just end on a a big chord you know that'll be really effective he would give me little 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 things like that but they're only suggestions i didn't have to do them so it wasn't no it wasn't intimidating at all and um, it was a kind of uh, as well i mean he he said to me that it was um he likes working with young musicians as well, uh, because you know he, he got new things from uh, he got new ideas. It kept him very very fresh working with young young musicians. So, uh, you know he I learned so much just being on stage with him, just being with him, working with him. And uh, then I was very fortunate that some of the things that I that I did he would he would ask me you know well what's that tune and I'd say well. It's a new tune. It was written in 1978, <laughs> and I, yeah, and I'd I, I get him to I'd get him to play it, you know. And I got him to play quite a few Stevie Wonder tunes and, uh, that he, he'd never heard of before. And, uh, in fact, there's a whole bunch of those, those things on on YouTube going back when, when we were playing in America in the early 80s. So, yeah, it was it was that was a great thing about him was that he he didn't live in the past. And when he was when he was interviewed. Uh, sometimes people thought that he didn't like talking about about Django, but it, that that wasn't it. wasn't that It was just that he, he was he just wanted to talk about what he was doing at that time. Right. He didn't really, he didn't have any interest in in talking about what happened, what went before. He was more interested in he said, "Oh, never mind that. Let me tell you about the band I'm, I've got right now. Let me tell you about Martin Taylor. I'm, I'm, you know, he's playing guitar with me these days. You know, and, and uh, we've just been to." Florida or something, you know, and that's what he wanted to talk about, not, not what not uh, what was happening in the past. And I think that's one of the things that kept him very vibrant as a human being, as a person, and kept him young and uh, kept his music alive all, all the time. The fact that he, he did live in the moment, he didn't dwell on the past.
0: Excellent. Now, is it true, Martin, that you played your first professional gig when you were eight years old? Is that right? <laughs>
2: It is, yeah. It was my first professional gig was um, well. First of all, a music store opened. Um, I, I, I grew up just outside of London. Uh, my, my dad got a job um, working on road construction there, so uh, my family moved there in 1955, and I was born the, the year after. And a little uh, music store opened up, and my next door neighbor was a guitar player called Jippy Mayo. Who, was, who, then, who then became the guitar player with Dr. Feelgood and uh, the Yardbirds, and we started playing guitar at the same time. And we went up to this music store, and I used to go there every Saturday and just sit in the window and play. And uh, the guy used to he used to put on the the guy that had the place. He had he used to put on dances the weekend on Saturday nights, and he asked me to play at it. So there's me, another lad who played guitar, and my dad on bass. Yeah, and I, I was eight years old, which isn't I thought was quite young until I found out that the great uh, jazz drummer Buddy Rich did his first gig when he was eighteen months old, which is <laughs> which now, is quite amazing.
0: Martin, I'm a I'm a big Buddy Rich fan, and I did not know that. But I tell you what, nothing ever seems ceases to amaze me about that guy. Do you know that?
2: Well, <laughs> I, I I tell you what it was. His uh, his parents were in vaudeville. They were like a musical act in vaudeville traveling all across America. He was actually born, I don't know, he was quite literally born in a trunk, you know, uh, with a a traveling vaudeville act. And when he was 18 months old, um, uh, they put him on stage and he he danced and and played a little kit of drums. (laughs) Which is quite astonishing. <laughs> so at eight years old, that's nothing. I was a late starter.
0: You you were, you were a bit of a veteran, Martin, at eight years old. <laughs> you'd been around the block. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah exactly.
0: <laughs> now, t- talking of that, I read an interview a few years back, and you were asked if you felt that as if you'd missed out in your childhood, given that you were involved in music so heavily at such a young age, and your response was that you felt that you'd never really grown up. <laughs> now, is that, <laughs> is that still the case, Martin, a few years on?
2: Yeah, well, I think the growing up process is so slow that you don't actually notice it. I think I have now. I think I have kind of kind of grown up. But I think the thing was that I, I was never under any pressure as a kid from my parents. Uh, after all, I had a, a, a ukulele when I was about three years old. And that just went in with my other toys, you know, like toy soldiers and a little car and a fire engine thing. And I'd play with those. Then I'd get the ukulele out and I'd play with that then. When I was four years old, I got a guitar, and that just became another toy for me. So what I do, what I, I, I always tell parents, that say, about their, their kids playing, I said, just give them a, a little guitar and let them play with it. And that was probably the best thing that happened to me, because when I was, I can't remember not playing the guitar. It's, it's my earliest, well, it was the ukulele first, actually, but that was my first memory is actually of playing a ukulele. So I don't have any free music memories. Uh, but I had no pressure, pressure from my parents, so I grew up with stringed instruments. I just used to pick them up and play, and I never had lessons, but I had very good ears, and I, I just used to copy my dad was playing or any of his friends were playing. I just used to kind of absorb it and uh that kind of went into my my memory bank, and if I picked a guitar up, I started playing it, and I would play along to records as well. So you got to remember, this is like 1959, 1960. So yeah. I mean, the, you couldn't go on the internet. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't even get there. You know there wasn't even cassette players or anything like that. Which is, you had to get a record, and then you'd have to kind of just put the needle on, then take the needle off, and try and find the place again if you wanted to learn learn a little phrase.
0: Yeah, I can remember. Yes,
2: yeah, there was no pressure.
0: Yeah, my, my dad's a guitar player, and he was telling me that he, he couldn't figure out how to bend a string. He couldn't figure out what they were doing. He would slow the record down and everything. It's just amazing to think that totally different generation when the resources we've got available to us now. It's quite extraordinary.
2: Yeah, well, it was. I mean, if you played an LP, as it were, long playing record, you could. Some record players had a, uh, they had the LP, they had that time. Then they had an EP. Time which went a bit faster, seventy-eight which went really faster. Then some of them had, I think it was sixteen or sixteen and a third or something. And if you if you put an LP on that, it slowed it down an octave. Yeah, so halved it. So that meant you could actually work out what was being played, although it sounded like it was being played in the low register of a, of a tuba. Wow! <laughs> but you could actually slowly work out the notes. But the, at that time, there, there was no way you could go and learn uh, guitar and, other than classical guitar. You couldn't go to, there wasn't colleges that, that taught, you know, there wasn't rock schools or jazz, jazz schools or anything like that. Uh, so lots of kids were learning to play guitar around about the same time, you know, growing up in the 60s. And we just used to listen to records and then get together and, and share what we'd, we'd learned really and one of the interesting things about that was you'd you'd learn the same tunes off of records and then when you got together everyone played them differently because we didn't like you said your your dad didn't know how to bend a note so we all tried to figure out our own ways to do things sometimes we were hopelessly wrong i remember trying something once and i thought wow this is really difficult and i learned it learned this thing and I kind of played it, and then when I played it to my my guitar-playing friends, my neighbours, they said, "Oh, that's for two guitars." I didn't know. I'd, I'd listened to this thing thinking it was one person playing this guitar, <laughs> and I'd, I'd nearly driven myself mad in my bedroom trying to play this, play this thing. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was interesting like that because it did it did actually produce some quite. Original guitar players. We all sounded different. All my friends that played guitars, we didn't sound alike. We because we we're all kind of um, fumbling our way along.
0: Excellent. Now, please take us back, Martin. The first time you got the chance to see Jimi Hendrix live, can you talk us through that?
2: Oh right, yes. Now that would have been was it nineteen sixty nine? I think that was, and uh, I think it was was it May sixty nine? I think the Royal Albert Hall. And my brother, who is uh, six years older than me, he introduced me to that music one day. He said, you've got to listen to this. Stop listening to all that jazz rubbish and <laughs> and listen to this. And he put uh, Jimi Hendrix Experience on. I hadn't heard anything like that. I thought, that's great. You know, um and he said to me, I'll take you to see Jimi Hendrix. So we, we, we got on the train because we lived we lived about 40 miles from, from London. And we got on the train, went to the Albert Hall, and I didn't know what to expect. And so I just saw this amazing show with Jimi Hendrix and Noel Redding and uh, Mitch Mitchell. And interestingly, although it was so different, it seemed very loud to us. Even though they won't go through a PA system, they just had these huge stacks of, of Martial amps. In fact, I saw some photographs uh, of that concert the other day on on, on the internet. Uh, it's you know it, it was a different thing, but it was still there was still that like, huge element of improvisation get involved with that. And Mitch Mitchell w- was uh, a jazz drummer. In yeah. fact, his teacher was was Jim Marshall mm-hmm. from Marshall amplifiers. That's how Jimi Hendrix got to play Martial amps because. Uh, uh, mitch says mate of mine makes amplifiers <laughs> and it was jim marshall who had this uh, guitar store uh, so uh, jim was his his drum teacher and teaching him to play jazz because jim was a jazz drummer and uh so that was uh, yeah so i i kind of connected with it although it, it was it was the same language but in a different accent if you know what i mean yeah yeah there's and plus, you know, just incredible showmanship, showmanship and, and presence that Jimi Hendrix had. And one of the things I was thought, I still think about Jimi Hendrix was playing. And I'm, You know, I listen to him play, and the playing is just so instantly identifiable when he plays. But it was really the combination of his guitar and his voice for me that was, was, was the real magic when those two came together. I just thought it was very, very special. Nobody can, nobody can copy that. That was, that stuff. That that is, uh, that's deep. That's deep stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I've always felt that Jimi Hendrix, bizarrely enough, is very underrated as a, as a songwriter because his guitar playing was so good. Because uh, you know, everybody looks back and remembers him as such an amazing guitar player, but maybe overshadowed his songwriting.
2: Yeah, yeah possibly. Um, yeah, possibly. It depends what people kind of hone in on. I think also the fact that he was such a great showman yeah. and had this incredible charisma and presence on, on stage, that he was the kind of ultimate guitar god. You know? Everything about him was, was godlike. <laughs> so, so I think people kind of um, kind of take the... And I think that happens with, just generally speaking, sometimes... The, the song the songwriting side of things people think that just kind of happens somehow um, and uh, that's you know it's just part of the uh, of the whole thing um, but yes I mean I mean a lot of other people have played his music uh, and continue to play his music as well um, but he was such a phenomenal performer that I think that I think anything else he'd have have done, you know, he could have been the the world snooker champion and it would have meant nothing to most people (laughs) (laughs) compared to his his guitar playing. That's a very good uh, point, Martin.
0: A very good point indeed. Now, hold on a second there, Martin. We're just going to let the boys from All She Knows tell everybody about our previous episodes.
1: Hey guys check out all the awesome previous episodes at scottcowdy.com you've got your first episode glenn macklock from the Sex pistols episode two huey morgan from the fun-loving criminals we've got episode three with sandy tom episode four brian ray from paul mccartney's band episode five orianthes michael jackson's guitarist episode six bob jacobs head spokesperson from nasa episode seven dr phil toll Episode 8, Graham Clark and Graham Duffin from Wet Wet Wet. Episode 9, Andy McKee. Episode 10, Steve Craddock from Ocean Colour Scene. Episode 11, Cliff Goldmacher. Episode 12, Steve White from Oasis, The Who, and Paul Willis, Drummer. And on this episode, we've got Martin Taylor, MBE. And remember guys, it's now available to download on iTunes, so rate and review that. And of course, ScottCowey.com.
0: Check it out guys. So, what are you up to just now? Then, what projects are you getting involved with musically just now?
2: Well, I'm just I'm just back from America. I've been touring in the states. Tommy Emmanuel and I have been on tour promoting our uh, Colonel and Governor CD, and we toured in Asia before that. We were in China and um, Korea and uh, Malaysia, number num- number of places and so uh we were touring in the states for six weeks i'm now doing some dates i've got two dates in scotland i'm playing in in aberdeen on uh on thursday the 20th and Dunferman on the 20th on the 21st right and then i have a few, few dates down at the, the south of england and the beginning of April, I go back to the, the U.S., and I'm touring for about a month uh, with with uh, a group I've put together called The Great Guitars, which is a kind of a rebirth of the original Great Guitars, with which was Barney Kessel, Charlie Bird, and Herb Ellis. Uh, and I, I was part of that group um, for a number of tours when Herb Ellis uh, left the group uh, back in the back in the eighties, so uh, I've kind of resurrected um, the the concept of the great guitars. So in the US, I have um, Frank Vignola, uh, Vinnie Raniolo, and uh, Peppino Diagostino with me uh, for that, and then. Uh, when I play in Asia, I've got some guitar players from Asia and in Europe and Scandinavia I have guitar players from there so it's, it's a kind of, there's a pool of guitar players that, that do this so I'll be doing that and a few solo dates as well then I go to Australia in, in May so that's, yeah uh, then European festivals during the summer and then back to Asia at, at the end of the year and I'm also working on some ideas. For it. I, haven't, I haven't made a, I haven't made a solo CD in quite a few years, so I'm re- ready to do another one. And a few other ideas up my sleeve.
0: I'm going to put in my request for your up and coming Scottish gigs. I want to hear some Chet Atkins stuff. I love your version of Chet Atkins uh, material.
2: We, we, Chet and I recorded together. Uh, he was a good friend and. And in fact, there's going, there's going to be a couple of tracks that we recorded together, guitar duets that we recorded in the late '80s, that are going to be reissued fairly soon. Oh, as well. great! Yeah. So, um, yeah. I think I think what it was one of the things about Chet and I, we we both liked a lot of the same tunes, but he, you know, he played in that thumb picking style that you know that he kind of invented. Whereas the way I play is more like a piano, it's like stride piano player. It's, it's quite similar in, in a way. Um, but mine's sort of slightly slightly jazzier and there's a few other things going on uh, beside that. But um, yeah, Chet was, Chet was just fantastic and he inspired so many people. He was hugely influenced by, by Django Reinhardt too. And also there was another guitar player from Argentina called Oscar Alman, who was a contemporary of Django's. And he lived in Paris for quite a while in the 1930s. And I heard a recording just the other day of Oscar Alleman playing Whispering. There's a famous recording of Chet playing Whispering uh, in the, I think, in the 50s. And I heard Oscar Alman playing it in the 1930s, and he was playing the same, he played with a thumb pick and playing the same kind of style. Uh, and I know that Chet was a, a fan of his, so it's it's always interesting to to trace back where things come from they uh sometimes you you think well, a musician invented a certain style of playing, but then when you when you look into it you you see where their influences are and they've actually they've actually come from somewhere before uh, where it's not so obvious like a lot of my playing doesn't seem so obvious because most of the musicians that that really influenced me were piano players, so I've kind of taken a lot of piano playing ideas onto the guitar, so it's not instantly obvious where where my what my influences are but they're all there we're only just we're, all we're doing is carrying carrying it all along <laughs> none okay. of us are doing any, there's nothing new one of the things you discover music nothing's nothing comes up new it's all it's all been it's all been here before
0: I want to get your take on a couple of guitar players Martin lastly um, John Martin what were your thoughts on him?
2: John Martin love John Martin's playing yeah um, I heard I heard him play I I've, I saw John on on television a few times i never saw him play live and i i just loved he he just had this really solid way of playing and a great sound and you know when when he accompanied himself it was just it was just perfect another guitar player like that for me is martin carthy yeah he's got that same, real solid grounded playing you can't imagine any other guitar player uh, accompanying them you know when when they're singing, you know. So it's it's just it's just perfect. It just becomes a perfect. Um, it just all merges together as one perfect piece of music.
0: Excellent. Young guitar players right now. Who is, is a kind of young and up and coming guitar player that you look at and and you know maybe you've got a high opinion of Martin.
2: Well, there's quite a few. One of the things that's happened is that the, the internet uh, has speeded everything up as far as learning goes so things that took me 10 years to do uh i see young guitar players getting to that stage in about 18 months because we had to seek things out you know we we didn't know i was fortunate that my dad was a musician so i you know i had some contact with a lot of things so that's one of the one of the things you know i've got my own online interactive guitar school so um you know, I've got quite a few students, young students. I've got a young student from New Zealand at the moment who's only thirteen, who's just playing quite amazing. But uh, a couple of guitar players, uh, and Andreas varady who is uh, originally from <coughs> originally from Slovakia, but his family moved to Ireland, and uh, we played together a few times, and he's. In fact, when I was in Los Angeles in January, he was there making his first album, and uh, he's been signed by Quincy Jones. So he was uh, making that album for Quincy Jones, and uh, he's uh, Quincy Jones is, is his manager, actually. Uh, there's also... Um, there's another guitar player who's probably. I think he's probably around about twenty four, twenty five now. But I first worked with him in America when he was twelve. It's a guitar player called Julian Large, and he's he went on to work with Gary Burton, and he's a, a really extraordinary, extraordinary musician. But yes, I, I mean I'm, I do meet some really fantastic players. My my progress was very slow and. Um, drawn out <laughs> you know i wasn't playing anywhere near the way these guys were playing when when I, I was their age it was it was a it was a far more longer drawn out process they seem to absorb things so quickly because there's and i i think the internet just has a lot to do with that whatever you want to know just just go on there and and you'll you'll find it uh my dad's uh, best friend he it was a guy called dick bishop and he he played guitar with uh, lonnie donnegan and um uh, Chris Barber, and he used to tour a lot with Big Bill Brunzi, Delta Blues, the singer, guitar player, and he brought all these these Delta Blues records back to the house for us to listen to, and uh, and then I played them to my neighbour Jippy, and that's how we yeah you know, we kind of started playing because of that. But uh, you know I was fortunate that I was exposed to, to different kinds of music. Um, but it was it was a long it was a long haul. I've been playing guitar since 1959 now, and I've, I've been playing professionally for 41 years. I've been on the road for 41 years. I always like to say when people say to me, "Are you on tour?" I say, "Yes." And they say, "How long have you been on tour for?" I say, "Since 1973." <laughs> <laughs> it, it just this tour just seems to go on and on and on forever.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> Absolutely, bro. man. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you today and we'll have to get you on for a part two to sit with that acoustic guitar of yours all right okay talk to that next time yeah absolutely and talk us through those different techniques because i play a bit of guitar myself and then i watch you play and i just think there is no hope and there is no point in me continuing with this because you're just at another level thanks very much and um best of luck with um the continuation of the 41 year tour
2: Yeah, I don't know how much longer it's going to go on for Take care Martin Thanks a lot No problem, thank you
0: Fantastic insight there into the career of Martin Taylor He's so passionate still to this day After being on the road for so many years I'm still with the guys now from All She Knows Just remember, this coming Sunday They're playing at the Classic Grand Okay, Now Tang, where can we get tickets for that? Uh, you can get it on our Bandcamp if you go on
1: bandcamp.com forward slash all she knows music And we've also got tickets on us so you can Facebook us on all she knows Which is facebook.com forward slash all she knows music
0: okay. Fantastic stuff, so what's the latest then? Have you got an EP out at the moment? Is there an album in the works? What's going on George?
1: Well, uh, I think we've got a single that will be coming out uh, very soon We're actually going to
0: film some of our set uh, the classic, classic grand gig. So, if it's coming along, you might get to be in our next music video. Great stuff, thanks for that, George. Remember and follow these guys at all she knows on Twitter and add them on Facebook too. And tell a friend, let everybody know what's going on over here at scottcowie.com. We're also now on iTunes. Rate, review, maybe click on that subscribe button. And thank you very much for hitting that download button today and listening to our podcast. Please spread the word, and we'll see you next
2: week.